Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Did you know that one of the highest careers in demand in the medical device industry right now is in regulatory? Who knew? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons as to why that is, but I think it's really interesting to think about this as an amazing career opportunity for folks. And a lot of companies have huge demand for regulatory professionals. Joining me on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast is Mitch Robbins. Mitch is with the Anthony Michael Group. Their firm does a lot of recruiting for employers as well as for candidates who are seeking their next exciting opportunities. So he has a lot of insights and perspectives on this, and I hope you enjoy the episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and excited to resume conversations with, I hope it's okay I call you a friend, Mitch, but I've, I've grown quite fond of our conversations over, to, over the past, you know, I don't know, year, year and a half, however long we've been talking together. But I guess to those listening, joining me today is Mitch Robbins. Mitch is the founder and managing director at the Anthony Michael Group. So Mitch, welcome back. Thanks, John. How dare you call me a friend? I didn't know you were going to do that on there. <laughs> well, I, I just, it seems right. I mean, I, you and I have talked, well, quite a few times on the Global Medical Device Podcast, but several more times just, you know, keeping a uh, pulse on, on what's going on in the industry. And, you know, I, I, today is one of those topics of conversation that I think last time you and I spoke in some depth about what was going on. I can't remember if we were already in, in the pandemic or, or not, but obviously, you know, much of 2020 and even, you know, early 2021 were kind of still in the throes of that. And I'm just a little curious, I guess, on what you're seeing from the industry perspective. I mean, in, in your role at the Anthony Michael Group, have things been slowing down, speeding up? What, are, what is your take? What is your uh, perspective on on things in the industry right now? Sure. Yeah. And first, again, thanks for having me on uh, again. It's always awesome to to be with you and be on the show. And uh, likewise, as far as our friendship, as far as what I'm seeing in the market, you know, I guess I'll take you back real quick to when this pandemic started to happen as rapidly as it as it did. In March, I, you know, as the owner of our business, like everybody else, was was pretty freaked out because I saw things start to shut down and shut down more and more progressively. And then we had some searches going on that, you know, a couple had just finished up and a couple that were in the final stages went on hold just pretty much overnight and thought, oh man, this is, this is not good. And then I could tell you that by late April, early May, from that time period, late April, early May through, as you and I are having this conversation, we have just been nonstop with organizations that need our help to, to place regulatory and, and quality talent. And so I would say that the market is on fire and uh, demand is, I would almost go out on a limb and say greater than it's ever been, quite honestly, especially in these functions. Yeah. And, and I think that some uh, parallels what I uh, observed as well. I think there was that period of time of great uncertainty, not just in the medical device world, but just in the world in general in that March, April timeframe, right. we were all trying to figure out, you know, you know, being sort of forced, so to speak, 
to to be remote and you know all these other things that were you know not not commonplace for any of us you know we were tr- just trying to figure it all out and i and I saw a similar sort of thing, you know, and from a green light uh, world and perspective that it seemed like, you know, let's call it mid-April or so, people were like, all right, this is what we're faced with. Let's adapt and evolve. And and I guess that's that's encouraging to hear that you've seen the same sort of thing. And I, I know from our perspective at Greenlight, I mean, it's it's been a... I hope this comes out the right way. A fantastic time for us to grow. You know, the, you know, we we have personally, we we've just we haven't let anything that's that's facing us slow us down. We're like, you know, this is a a great time to invest in our business. It's a great time to invest in in growing our business, adding additional key resources, and, and so on and so forth. And it sounds like you're seeing some more sorts of things to to some companies. I'm sure there are still others that are still trying to figure it out and, and that sort of thing. And, and you know, I, I guess any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess a couple of things come to mind. The analogy of, of the stock market, you know, there's people that when the stock market is not doing well, they get scared and they end up selling. And then they kick themselves later when the stock market comes back because they lost the opportunity to, to realize those gains, but they got out because of the fear. Yeah. And then there's others who see it as a great opportunity to buy on the dip, so to speak, and realize those gains knowing that everything is cyclical. I would say the exact same thing has been going on in, in our marketplace within you know, medical technology is organizations, exactly like you just explained with Greenlight Guru, who a lot of companies are seeing this as an opportunity to maybe be okay being uncomfortable, meaning especially with hiring practices, you know, so many organizations never in their wildest dreams thought they would hire on a remote basis, let alone build a remote workforce. And so I think people that are moving and adapting to what is reality are the ones that are winning. And it's okay to be uncomfortable, especially if you see a way forward to continue to to innovate. And so I would say that the vast majority of businesses I've seen, you know, some were very early to adopt it, others kind of you know, begrudgingly said, well, we don't necessarily have a choice. And then there's others that quite honestly, I've seen continue to remain on the sidelines. You know, I think the elective surgery business obviously was a, an, an issue last year, but that's coming back. So I would just, I, I guess that's the analogy I would use as far as the stock market, because that's exactly what I've been seeing. Yeah. And I, and I like the, the remote aspect of that because, you know, you know, same thing that we were faced with at Greenlight Guru. I mean, suddenly, you know, uh, mid-March of 2020, regardless of where people were geographically located, we were all remote. Now, granted, we might be in the same area code, so to speak, but nonetheless, we're all remote. And, yep. you know, that, that was, a, a, I think, a pivotal moment for our company is to realize, oh, wow, you know, we've got to adapt and, and evolve and figure out how to work remote. So, you know, it was a lot of pivots, a lot of iterative uh, collaborative sessions to just, you know, make it work. And we have a great team of people. And and so we were all committed to make it work. And, you know, I, I think we've been thriving and very successful at that. And in, in so doing, we realized, oh, well, there might be some opportunities to, to add some amazing talent to our team. You know, people that maybe aren't ready to, to move their family or relocate to uh, central Indiana, but you know, maybe they're perfectly happy in Austin, Texas, or San Diego, California, or where, wherever the case may be. So it's really, you know, we, we really, I guess, reevaluated our our hiring strategy and and our workforce strategy, and you know, it's still evolving today. I mean, I, I know a lot of our team is anxious to get back into the office and that sort of thing, but you know, we're 
being cautious and you know making sure that we're monitoring the the situation appropriately. But it's great to hear that that other companies have realized, wow, this is a, a kind of a great time. I mean, the the old model. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember the old model as you know you, you were expected to be in your seat at like eight in the morning and you're there to five and you take a you know an hour lunch and, and that sort of thing. So sort of regimented as far as your day-to-day schedule, but you know, it's a different world in 2021. It's definitely a different world. And I think that flexibility is one of the key drivers, flexibility and autonomy, as far as why people are interested or not interested in opportunity. And, you know, I think this whole pandemic thing has really caused leaders of organizations to, to have to look at things differently. Those who want to continue to move their businesses forward and, and grow and seeing that, wow, a lot of these scenarios that we were concerned about that wouldn't work in a remote environment are actually turning out really well. So on that note, I'm going to be curious to see how many businesses actually continue this model and continue to grow their workforce this way versus how many truly do come back on a full-time basis into an office setting. Same. I mean, I heard, I don't remember where I heard this, but something along the lines of, I don't know if this is somebody just being Nostradamus and prognosticating or it was actually an, an article or something but something along the lines of the 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 workplace the brick and mortar workplace as we know it today will be a thing of the past in you know just 10 years i know and and it's it's not inconceivable i mean a year ago had had somebody said that to me i would have been like that's that seems out of the realm of possibility but you know fast forward totally. a little over a year later it's like oh wow yeah i could totally see it I was just going to say, it just amazes me how much innovation and how many thought processes can be changed when you're forced to change. You know, Tony Robbins, I think, is the one who said people make a change when the pain is great enough. I think that by being forced to be put in this situation, so many ideas are in ways of doing things have spun out of it because we didn't have a choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the other saying that comes to mind is necessity is the mother of invention, right? And, and you know, now all of a sudden we're all, you know, wherever we are in the world, and it's like, well, we still need to get stuff done. So what do yep. we do about it? You know, and it's just rolling your sleeves up and trying to be creative. I mean, like, I know, like internally, you know, we, as I'm sure a lot of companies were very reliant on things like Zoom. I mean, I, I'm, I just remember when I started my career in the late 90s, to think that we would be doing video conferences on a routine daily, multiple times a day basis, that would have been like, you know, like Star Trek. Uh, we would have never imagined yeah. something like that. But here it's like, it's what you do all the time, every day. So uh, I think things like that have sort of, and, you know, and it's not perfect. Uh, it's not a substitute. You know, still that face-to-face live human interaction is is the most preferred, at least for me. But but I think it's a pretty good surrogate. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, obviously there are some sectors, especially in, in med device and, and a lot of other industries, where you know, especially if you're manufacturing something, there's still going to be the need to be in a facility to do that sort of thing. I guess I'm a little curious uh, as well. Uh, you know, you talked about seeing some of the companies that you're working with, you know, that have realized, okay, this is a new way of operating. You know, we've, we're going to change our hiring strategy and that sort of thing. Are there particular segments of the industry where you're seeing a lot of demand and growth right now? I would say that regulatory is, is number one, for sure. Are you asking the types of medical technology yeah. businesses or the types of functional areas? The types of functional areas. Yeah. I would say that regulatory is just, the, the demand is is off the charts. Quite honestly, I always tell people who are who are 
in the process of trying to recruit regulatory talent. Simply just go on any job board of your choosing and type in the the term regulatory affairs and you'll see all your neighbors <laughs> vying for the same talent. Yeah. And I'm curious, what do you think is triggering that? Any any thoughts or, or predictions or, or guesses as to why the demand for regulatory is so high right now? You know, I, I'm still trying to pinpoint, but I guess I would, you know, if if I had to say right now, I guess I'd say a couple things. One, uh, EU MDR is not going away. Whether whenever it does uh, roll out, it's it's coming. So I think that's a big piece of it. I would say that there's unbelievable innovation and hyper growth going on in digital health, and so these companies are realizing the importance of uh, regulatory staff and not just consultants. Uh, I would say that the population is it just in general is continuing to age, which is opening up more opportunities. And I would say that as a sector, you know, medical te- technology. There's more and more startups, it seems, every single day that are luring talent from the bigger players, which creates uh, more and more vacancies. And there's just not enough talent in regulatory affairs to go around, which is why I think some of these, you know, budding programs that are, you know, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I do want to say this. There's these regulatory affairs educational programs. And if you talk to regulatory executives like I have many, many times, it's split down the middle as far as how they feel about it. You know, does it prepare somebody to come into regulatory uh, from college or, you know, and how does the hiring manager feel about that or the executive of that functional area versus others who feel like, you know what, it's, yeah, it's a great educational supplement, but it's not necessarily what you need to get into regulatory. And it's interesting because historically, regulatory affairs hasn't been like an area of, of where you're in college and you say to yourself, I'm going to be in regulatory affairs. It just doesn't happen that way. Most people got into it just like recruiting. Most people got into it by accident. And so I think that as an industry, the more intentional we are as far as helping to educate those who are coming up as far as the value and and what regulatory affairs really is and, and how it could be a great career path, I think that's going to be truly important because the, like I said, we just, there just is not enough talent to grow around, which is driving this demand insane right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And I want to get back in to maybe some tips and pointers for um, employers as well as candidates here in a moment, but I want to take a brief break. I want to remind folks, I'm talking to Mitch Robbins. Mitch is with the uh, Anthony Michael Group. You can find out a lot more about their products and services by going to theanthonymichaelgroup.com. All one word, no hyphens, no spaces. Uh, Of course, we'll provide a link to that as well. And Mitch, when you and I were catching up prior to today's podcast recording the other day, you mentioned something about a new service that you're rolling out at the Anthony Michael Group. Do you mind maybe sharing uh, with folks a little bit more about that program? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, it's funny, there's two things um, that I would mention. One is what's called the Career Hunters. And it's actually myself and a uh, a colleague of mine in the recruitment industry. And this this idea of the career hunters, um, specifically uh, out of a conversation one day as the pandemic was starting to unfold. And in essence, what it is, is it's an online step-by-step program for uh, professionals who are looking to continue to move their career forward in one way, shape, or form, whether that's, you know, learning more about how to position yourself for promotions or, or more so what it's based on is helping you understand how do you get yourself in front of the decision maker without getting caught up in the HR application dump, so to speak. And we teach you step-by-step 
the inside know-how of a third-party recruiter as if we were helping you with your search, but teach you exactly how to do it yourself. And so that's anything from scripting to marketing to understanding the buyer's journey. The whole thing is laid out in a, a six-week online program. So that's called the, the Career Hunters. And the other thing I would mention is the new show, the MedTech Talent Lab, where we talk about all things talent-related with a variety of industry guests, which John we're going to definitely have you a part of all things talent related in, in medical technology. So that's the other thing I would mention as well. Mitch, I am excited about both those programs. I mean, I'm going to dive in and consume or at least learn a lot more about them. They sound like wonderful assets to medical device professionals. So uh, folks will be sure to provide a lot more information about those two exciting programs that Mitch just described in the, the notes that accompany the show. So let's get back into the scope of the conversation and, you know, talking, you know, specifically about the demand for regulatory. Sounds like the demand is coming from companies. And to your point, you know, there's a limited talent pool as you and I are speaking today, a finite talent pool that is not meeting the entire industry demand. And, uh, you know, I guess, where are you seeing the, the bigger opportunities? What, what type of employers? I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of startups are, are you know, being successful at luring some regulatory talent to their initiative and pulling them away, in some cases, away from larger companies. Are you seeing the larger companies with a shortfall or is it startups or is it all of the above? I think it's definitely all of the above. So a couple of things I would say is recruiting has to change one way or the other. and the days of posting a position and hoping that the right talent shows up. Does it work some of the time? Yes, it does some of the time. But I've been on your show before and I, I can't stress this enough, which is why I'm going to bring it up again. It's all about the employer value proposition. What What is differentiating? What is unique about the opportunity, the trajectory of the business, the scope of that position, what, they're, what this person's going to be exposed to? And if they are successful in helping you achieve your priorities, what is their path forward look like? Because top talent it cares about a couple things, especially today. One is, you know, does your organization represent something that helps save lives or helps improve the quality of life in one way, shape, or form? And can you articulate how their job ties to that, to that mission? Two is the opportunity basically to self-actualize. If they can come in and do exactly what you're asking them to do, how are they going to be rewarded? It's not necessarily monetarily. It could be you know, the types of projects they're going to work on or the scope of responsibility. And so what I see more often than not happening is organizations are just very old school and aren't necessarily thinking outside the box on how to attract this talent. They're putting up a job posting that says you must have nine years of, you know, class three medical device experience. You must have known how to, and then they'll put in all the hot button language and they'll have like a sentence about who the company is and a link to their website. I want you to ask yourselves this. When somebody is heads down, busy as can be with their current work, and they've got umpteen recruiters leaving voicemails saying they've got the greatest opportunity, and they see these postings about an opportunity that requires nine years of experience, how is that compelling? How does that somebody stop somebody dead in their tracks and make it a no-brainer for them to think about having an exploratory conversation with you? And so that's, I guess, my biggest message is you have to start writing as if you're marketing marketing to a prospect and, and courting them. You can't just assume that because you have an opening, you know, the floodgates are going to open, people are going to be dying to work for you. Some companies have that luxury, but I would say the vast majority don't. Yeah, I have uh, I jotted down a few notes to follow up on that. some things that 
first thing, the job, the classic job description, to your point, I mean, there's 48 bullet points of all the thou shouts and the roles and the responsibilities and the expertise that are important. And, you know, the very little about the, the company. Um, so I, I got to imagine that 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 the quote classic traditional conventional job description uh, I understand it. I've written these job descriptions. I mean, you're trying to find a person that ticks as many of those boxes as as possible. Uh, you know, everything that you can think of, including the kitchen sink, sometimes. But in doing so, I got to imagine that that's a very uh, that limits your your talent pool down to like a handful of people. You know, and, and what is your likelihood that you're going to find those handful of people? And and what is it that what product are you are offering them that's going to lure them to you? For sure. And so think about this. The vast majority of who is looking at job boards maybe are sitting uh, right now, they're frustrated by something and they want to browse. So that's mostly the people who are looking, right, on a job board. is somebody who's not necessarily content with what they're doing right now and is curious about what's out there. So let's say that you want to capture that sector of, you know, prospective talent. When they go to the job board, and they see the exact same posting with a different company's name on it over and over and over, it's like a sea of, it's like a sea of noise. Nothing rises, rises above that noise. Think about content creators on, on LinkedIn these days. There's so much noise on social media, let alone LinkedIn. How do you capture somebody's attention in just a few seconds so that they want to know more? And that's when I keep harping on the value proposition is instead of writing the posting about what's in it for you and what you need, Think about writing it from the perspective of who's going to be joining your organization. And if you were on the streets or if you were working for a competitor, why would you consider talking to the company? Yeah. Or excuse me, if you were uh, looking for an opportunity, what would be so compelling about that, your organization that you think it's a no-brainer for them to at least explore it with you? And I think very, very, very few people, unless they're studying this stuff, are, are, are recognizing this opportunity. Yeah, and that kind of you know uh, segues into another note I jotted down a moment ago, I think it's important to think about the workforce uh, today, you know, and, and uh, the, it's just, you know, it's, it's right in front of us. It's the millennial workforce. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go to the meetings every Tuesday at 5 p.m. But anyway, I'm, 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 but, you know, you think oh, about that's great. But the baby boomer and the, the Gen X generations, um, you know, when they entered the workforce, completely different than than when the millennial uh, entered their workforce. And, and I think the other thing that, that I've learned a great deal, because, you know, Greenland, we 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 have quite a few folks that are of that that particular generation. One of the things I, I, I admire about the millennial workforce is they gravitate toward opportunities and companies that have uh, a meaningful mission and, and to your point, value, not just you know from a career satisfaction standpoint, but that they want to know that the work they're doing means something to humanity. And they want to, uh, you know, align to that particular mission. I, I think that's really important. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I would say, so before this conversation, you and I, I had asked my team who talks to God knows how many regulatory professionals on a weekly basis. I said, as you talk to these folks and you're talking to them about their current career situation and their aspirations going forward, what is the number one driving factor why somebody would consider making a change? What do they tell you? And the number one thing was 
the type of technology and the mission of the organization. Is it, is it life-saving technology or how does it improve the quality of life? And so that ties straight back to what you just said as far as feeling like you're being part of something greater. And this was way above money. Money was like number three. So yeah. I think you're dead on. Yeah, and you know, we. I think you know, it's it's back to what you were talking about a moment ago. It's it's about value, but it's about you know looking at at this through the lens of of the candidate. You know, what's important to them, and I think you know probably, and I'm speculating here, and it's probably not a fair speculation, but uh, nonetheless, I'll make it anyway. You know, I, I, a lot of people who are hiring uh, probably are still of maybe an, an older generation, and and you know they probably haven't evolved their hiring practices, and I think that's sort of the big message that I hope folks take from this conversation. It's time to evolve and, and think about this a little bit differently, and realize that the people that you're hiring are different personas that they, they tick to differently than uh, than maybe people you hired you know five or even ten years ago. So you know I think you know that's really important. The other thing I th- I think is important, especially. Uh, about the regulatory side of things, uh, and it, this goes also back to a, a point that you made uh, earlier on in today's conversation, used to be regulatory was sort of, uh, not in all cases, but I would say in an overwhelming percentage, sort of an accidental career path. It wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. something that you know the person sought out to, like, to do. It's just something that happened, you know, they were with an employer, it was an opportunity for, or, you know, promotion or, a, you know, a new job or whatever the case may be. And so they sort of stumble into to regulatory. But what you've seen, uh, I think is really important is that people are seeking this out as an intentional career path right now. And I think that's a, a really a key factor to, to weigh in whenever you know, employers are, are looking to add to their regulatory talent pool that people are doing this on purpose now. It's not an accidental thing. Yeah, and my hope is that that continues to keep, you know, to be a bigger and bigger opportunity for people to realize, wow, like, you know, this is something I can go directly into. And maybe I was, you know, maybe I was thinking about going to law school, but I don't want to do that. I'm really interested in uh, the medical technology space. And maybe I do want to be part of this, you know, um, track they call regulatory affairs. And I think that the more... Uh, tenured veterans in the industry can do, you know, be part of outreach and explaining to folks who are going through school now or coming up the value of regulatory and what it can be as a career path. It's it's critical, quite honestly. I, and I, I think, you know, the other thing that I, you know, I, I've, I, I guess through my 22 plus year career, I've sort of, I've done more than just dabble on regulatory um, I think what really what has fascinated me in the past couple of years is all the, I, I guess, the nuances and, and the ambiguity that regulatory science uh, presents. You know, and, and I'm I like to solve problems. I like to I'm a fixer. Uh, like when faced with a challenge, I like to figure out a solution. That's just how I'm wired. And I, I think a lot of, you know, if you have that sort of skill set, I think that uh, a career in regulatory affairs. And regulatory science uh, could be a really good career path, um, you know, just to figure out a strategy, you know, like a go-to-market strategy. Uh, like, you know, maybe you've got something amazingly innovative and unique and, and that sort of thing, but how do you bring it to market? Where do you bring it to market? I mean, there's so many different options. And uh, the other thing that's happening, I mean, you mentioned EUMDR. Yeah, that's going live here soon. And uh, there will be another change that impacts regulatory, I'm, I would bet a lot of money on it. 
from FDA yeah. or Health Canada or some other uh, market in the world that is going to to require you know somebody to learn how to navigate that sort of thing. And so I think regulatory affairs professionals have this awesome opportunity uh, to make a significant impact on the success of their company. So I, I can imagine there's lots of things that that you know would would feel good about being in that career. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, an amazing opportunity. It's literally the functional area that brings together R&D, engineering, marketing, all to sales all together to get a product onto the market and keep it, keep it uh, thriving and keep it safe in conjunction with quality. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and the other thing I you know, used to, you know, uh, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit, I think within companies, a lot of times the, the regulatory affairs people were looked at it's like, oh my gosh, I got to do this because regulatory says so, blah, 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 you know, all these sorts of things. But, you know, keep in mind that, that your, your regulatory people, they're key to your company's success because they understand how to navigate and work with, you know, FDA and, and the EU competent authority and notified bodies and, you know, anywhere else that you want to sell your product. I mean, they're, they're the, 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 the people that are going to make that happen. So I think that's really important. Mitch, as, as we kind of wrap things up today, any last-minute tips and pointers, advice that, that come to mind that you want to leave the audience with? I guess the, uh, the only thing I would say is continue to think, especially when you're recruiting, continue to think, would this be something that would attract us as current employees of our organization? What we're putting out there, is that really compelling enough to, to get somebody's attention? And if it's not, I encourage you to, to think about how you can make it compelling. If you have any questions, exactly how to do that, always happy to, to be a resource and answer. On the candidate side, I would say, you know, you're in a golden, golden era, so to speak, as far as opportunities in regulatory. And just because you're happy with what you're doing now doesn't necessarily mean that you should close off your ears and eyes because you just never know the types of opportunities out there that may continue to be an enhancement. So always keep an open mind and be open to conversations. Those are the things I guess I would leave, leave your audience with. Mitch, th- thank you so much. I appreciate your insights and, and observations and wisdom on what's happening in the medical device industry. So I appreciate that. John, as always, it's really a pleasure uh, to be here, and I'm appreciative of the opportunity to be a guest. For sure. For sure. Folks, whether you're uh, an employer looking to recruit and find amazing talent to join your medical device company, including folks in regulatory affairs, or you are a candidate who may be looking for your exciting next opportunity, you're going to want to reach out to a guy like Mitch Robbins at the Anthony Michael Group. Again, you can learn more about what they do and how they help and all the different programs and services that they're offering by visiting theanthonymichaelgroup.com. As always, if you need some assistance, if you're a medical device company and you need some assistance with your quality management system and, and workflows to bring your new exciting products to market and keep them there in a safe, effective, efficient manner, well, then I would encourage you to learn more about the medical device quality management system software platform from Greenlight Guru, the only uh, such platform that exists designed specifically and exclusively for medical device companies. It's been designed by actual medical device professionals. We find that this is really important. Our customers find that this is really important. Somebody who knows how to speak the language and navigate the path that you're on. So go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. And we'd be happy to have a conversation with you about your needs and opportunities and see if there might be something that we can do to help you. Again, go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. As always, thank you so much for being listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast. 
the number one podcast in the medical device industry. Continue to spread the word with your friends and colleagues and look forward to, to chatting with you or sharing with you in, uh, another conversation here real soon. As always, this is your host and founder at Green Light Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.